following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Unclean. Shalom, my friends. Welcome. So you too have come to see the leper king with your own eyes. (coughs) It's okay. Many have come before you. And I don't mind sharing my story. So you're welcome. But don't come too close. And don't touch anything. We wouldn't want you to leave this place carrying my disease, would we? My name is Uzziah, son of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, descendant of David, follower of Yahweh. Yes, a leper. I was 16 years old when I came to the throne of Judah. My father Amaziah was a a good man, a godly man who loved Yahweh. But sadly, just like my grandfather Joash, he walked with Yahweh and followed Yahweh and obeyed Yahweh for most of his life only to to walk away from Yahweh, to disobey at the very end of his life. It's quite a legacy to hand to a young 16-year-old king. A legacy from both my father and grandfather. To walk with Yahweh and obey him, only to fall over at the very end of life. Because of that, I, I swore when I came to the throne that I would be faithful to Yahweh for all of my life. My father Amaziah, he was a good man with a good heart. But he was a fool. There was something deep inside him that that needed to prove himself. Some great insecurity that that meant he he wanted to show people that he he was great, that he was powerful. And so he chose to go to war with our northern cousin, cousins in Israel, the northern kingdom. All of his advisors told him not to do it, that the warfare was a bad idea, that we could never win against this greater nation to our north. Even the king of Israel himself urged my father not to to try and join him against him in battle. But my father would not listen. Something was driving him to to show his, his prowess on the field of battle. And so he marched north with the armies of Judah. And they were absolutely routed. We were utterly defeated. Scores of our men slain in battle and my own father, the king, captured as the prisoner of the northern kingdom of Israel. He languished there for months in prison until he was finally released and he came back to Jerusalem. But he was a changed man. Something in him had had broken. It was as though It was as though he blamed 
Yahweh for this defeat instead of his own stupidity. And that was the moment where he turned away from the worship of the one true God. He began to sacrifice to, to, the, to idols, to the false gods of the nations around us. And for many of our people, that decision to move into idolatry was the last straw. And so rumors began to circulate through the palace. Whispers in the corridors of an impending coup. My father heard the whispers. And one night he, he got up and he fled the city of Jerusalem. He ran for the, for the great fortress in the south of Lachish, where he thought he would be safe. But he was not. The conspirators followed him there and there. They assassinated my father, the king. For a moment, we thought that they may be planning to rid the entire nation of the whole line of David, including me, but that wasn't their intent. Their plan was simply to remove a fool of a king. And so at 16 years old, I was anointed the new king of Judah. This year, it'll be 52 years, 52 years since I was anointed king. I have ruled Judah longer than any of my ancestors. Even the illustrious David and Solomon, I have ruled longer than them. And God has blessed our nation in that time. We were able to rebuild the armies of Judah. We were able to resupply our men and we now have a standing army of 300,000 warriors, well-equipped, well-armed, well-trained, led by an elite officer corps. And finally, our nation is the most secure it's been in generations. And those armies we've been able to lead into significant military victories. We vanquished to our west our ancient enemies, the Philistines, we knocked down the city, their great city of Gath. We, we destroyed the walls of Ashdod and we have made it now one of the settlements of Judah. And then we turned our attention to the south and we, we defeated the Arabs and their allies. And we opened up the entire Negev region to the south of Judah, once again belonging to my people. The caravan routes and the trade routes were once again reopened. And then the Ammonites to our east tried to, to fight us in pitched battle and we defeated them and they are still paying tribute to us to this day. Yahweh blessed us with the great army and wonderful military victories, but it wasn't all about fighting. We were able to rebuild our nation, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We constructed the towers in the most vulnerable parts of the wall to help us withstand a, a siege of a foreign army came against us. We've even built the latest in weaponry that, that, that throws boulders and arrows against anyone who would come against us. But we're able to do other great building works as well. Infrastructure that has been denied our nation for so long. And out in the countryside, we've opened up pasture land and and land that has not been uh, productive for us. That's my love. 
horticulture, agriculture, taking arid land that is not producing and turning it into farmland and pastures and and crops for our people. And Yahweh has abundantly blessed us. We've built towers and walls and, and we've propagated new crops so our people are fed. And as we've opened up the south through the Negev, for the very first time since the days of Solomon, we've been able to rebuild the, the city of Alath on one of the fingers of the Red Sea. And we've opened up trade routes that have been closed to us for 200 years. And finally, now we have exotic spices and other things coming to us on the, these laden ships from the Far East. Judah is trading again like it hasn't done since the days of, of Solomon. <laughs> God has been good to us. Military victories, a standing army of strength and security, abundant crops and food for our people, new trade routes being opened up, building projects. God has blessed us. And yet over that time, these decades of growth and blessing, <coughs> Something was happening deep in my own heart. The beast, the monster was growing and I never saw it. It's the monster of pride. And it went unrecognized in my soul for so many years. Yeah. See, I've always thought of pride as as someone who is boastful, someone who, who talks about themselves all the time. And that's never been who I am. That's never what I'm about. And so I never recognized that growing in me was this, this deep sense of pride. But with every new military victory, with every new accomplishment, with every new caravan that arrived with spices and trade goods, with every new field we opened up to feed the people, the flattery would increase and the praises would increase and something began to happen deep in my heart. This monster began to grow. And it wasn't boastful. Pride in me was not wanting people to, wanting me to tell people how wonderful I was. Instead, it was this deepening sense that I believed the flattery. And I believed the idea that it was all about me. And as the years rolled by, I began to be less and less reliant, dependent on Yahweh, and less and less thankful for all that he had done. And then that fateful day came. I went up to the temple in Jerusalem, the temple dedicated to the worship of Yahweh. Twice a week, from the very beginning of my reign, it had been my practice to go and offer my own personal thanks offerings to my God. And this day, I, I walked up to the temple, walked through the courtyard into the sanctuary, expecting to see my constant companion, the high priest Azariah, who joined me in my offerings. 
And for the first time in my reign, he wasn't there. A young priest saw me and came scurrying across the courtyard to inform me that, that Azariah, the chief priest, was, was running late. Something about a, a sick granddaughter or something. But he asked me just to wait and the priest would be there shortly. And so I stood there in the sanctuary admiring its beauty. But after a few minutes, I, I began to grow impatient. What I've realized now is that that's an aspect of pride. The more you believe your own self-importance, the more you, you don't want to have to wait for people or wait for something because you think you're so important. And after a few minutes, I began to think to myself, why should I even wait for the priest? I'm the king after all. Why don't I just offer my own sacrifice? And as I was thinking these thoughts, that's when I turned and noticed the side against the wall of the, the sanctuary of the temple is the beautiful altar of incense. This was the place where twice a day, morning and night, the chief priest would come and would refill this beautiful fragrant incense that was constantly burning. And he'd trim the wicks and he'd maintain the flame. And so this incense, this fragrance would continue to rise to Yahweh. It was symbolizing the, the constant prayers of his people to, to the God who was always listening. But this morning, for the first time, the priest had not filled it. And I noticed there was a jug on the ground at its, at its feet, filled with new incense oil for the day, waiting. And I thought to myself, well, why not? Why don't I refill the altar of incense since the priest Azariah still was not here? And I went over to this altar and I picked up the jug and I stood poised over the altar, ready to fill it with the incense for the day. And I paused and thought to myself, no other king of Judah has ever had the privilege of ministering at the altar of incense. And then just as I raised the jug ready to pour, I heard a commotion behind me in a loud voice. No, sire! And, and I lowered the jug and I turned. And there was finally the high priest, Azariah. He was red in the face as though he had, he had run a, a, a long distance to, to get there. But there was more. There was, there was a sense of, of indignation. There was fire in his eyes. And behind him was dozens upon dozens of the priests, 50, 60, more of them, with looks on their faces of, of horror and anger and disturbance. Azariah poked his chubby forefinger at me. It is not right for you, Uzziah, he said, to offer the incense on the altar. You are not a consecrated priest to Yahweh. It is unlawful, and you have been unfaithful. You need to leave the sanctuary. And as he spoke these words to me, this rage built up inside me. Who was he to speak to me this way? I am the king. 
I'm of the line and the family of David. This is my city. This is my country. This is my temple. Who is he to speak to me like that? And I threw the jug of oil to the ground so that it, it shattered everywhere. And the oil went across the floor of the sanctuary. And I poked my forefinger right back in his face. How dare you speak to me like that? I cried. I am the king. I am the son of David. I am the ruler of his people. Who are you to tell me what I can and cannot do? There's deathly silence. It's across the sanctuary. And then I noticed all of a sudden, as Uriah's eyes grew wide, there was a gasp or two from the priests behind him. A few even took a, a half step back. And I noticed they were all looking not at my eyes, but at my, my forehead, my hair. I snapped at them. What? What is it? Azariah gulped. So he needed time to collect himself. And when he spoke, his voice was much quieter than it had been. Sire, he said. The skin on your forehead has gone milky white. You have leprosy, sire. You need to leave the sanctuary. Leprosy. Part of my brain began to think through, how could I have leprosy? Who have I been in contact with? I haven't, I haven't seen a leper anywhere in the city for, for months. How could I have leprosy? And yet at the same time, there was another part of my brain that instantly knew that is exactly what it was. And I had not caught it from any other leper. It was an affliction. It was a, a judgment of Yahweh himself. I suddenly felt lightheaded, like I was potentially going to fall. And I reached out and, and I grabbed the corner of the altar of incense just to steady myself for a moment. And Azariah exclaimed immediately, No, sire, you, you can't touch the sacred furniture. You have to leave the sanctuary now, sire. You are unclean. And that's the word that did it. Unclean. I staggered out of the sanctuary. I collapsed into the sand of the courtyard. Unclean. It's the cry we hear from any leper that is near people who are whole and well, unclean. Now that was a description of my life. And as I sat in the dust of the courtyard, it suddenly dawned on me. My life would never be the same. Never again. Would I come to the temple of Yahweh and offer a thanksgiving sacrifice? Never again would I gather in this very courtyard with my people and celebrate one of the great festivals of Yahweh. Never again would I walk into my palace or sit on my throne. Never again would I welcome emissaries from far off lands or collect the tribute from the groveling Ammonite ambassador. 
Never again would I hug my wife or embrace my children or grandchildren. Never again would I hunt or fish with my friends. And while a leper can garden, I would only be able to garden while I still had fingers on my hands. My life changed forever that day. Unclean. And I stood out of the dust. And I walked out of the city of Jerusalem. The city I love. It was 10 years ago now. And I have never been back inside those walls. The next week, they anointed my son Jotham as the regent and my co-ruler. In theory, we ruled Judah together, but no one's fooled. Jotham's the one who sits on the throne. Jotham is the one who welcomes emissaries. He is the real king of Judah now. And me, I'm just a ghost of a king who once was. People ask me, as they come sometimes to hear my story as you have done today, they ask me, are you angry at Yahweh? Are you angry at the, the judgment of leprosy he inflicted on you? And my answer is always the same. At first, I was angry as I, as I tried to grieve what had happened. But now, now I'm not angry. Now I recognize that, that Yahweh's judgment was actually an act of mercy. Because who knows what that pride, that beast in me, might have made me capable of doing if left unchecked. If I felt I could disregard the book of the law, the word of Yahweh, and offer sacrifice on that altar when I was not allowed to do that, who knows what else my pride might have led me to try if God had not judged me that day. His judgment is an act of mercy on me. And over these last 10 years, I've had opportunity to think more deeply about the sin of mine, the sin of pride. See, I think most of us, as I did many years ago, I just thought pride was, was when you were boastful, when, when you were busy telling people about who you were and what you'd accomplished. But now I've realized, as I've reflected in these last years, while pride may show itself in some people that way, that's not pride in most of us. Pride is this growing sense of self-importance that leads us to two things. One is that pride leads us to self-reliance. It leads us to think that it's all about us. Every time we had a new achievement, a new victory, something great happened in our kingdom. And the officials would flatter me and celebrate what had happened. The sense grew in me 
that I had done this, that it was all about me. And I forgot, my God, that's pride. Yahweh warned us of this in the book of the law. The the book of Deuteronomy is Moses speaks to the people before they go to the promised land. And Moses says to them in the book, when you go into this land, Yahweh says, when you live in houses you did not build, when you harvest crops you did not sow. And as you then build larger houses and sow more crops, do not forget Yahweh your God. And do not forget that all of this is a blessing from his hand. That is pride, my friends. And that's what pride looks like in our lives. The more success we have, the more achievements, the better things go. The more tempted we are to forget that all that we are and all that we have is a blessing from on high. Pride leads us to self-reliance. But the other thing it does is it leads us to self glorification the book of the law the very first book of beginnings we told that Yahweh made us all of us in his image it means we're to reflect him and his character and his goodness we're, we're like mirrors of this infinite God that's who we all are and part of our role In his image is to reflect his glory. Like the sun lands on a mirror and and immediately reflects the rays. That's what we meant to do with the praise and the honor and the applause we receive in life. We're meant to reflect it back to the one to whom it is due. But pride stops us being mirrors. And instead we absorb the applause. And we sniff the glory. And we take the honor that's meant to go to Yahweh himself. What does pride look like in our lives when it's growing within us? It's a failure to trust and rely on Yahweh. And it's a failure to thank him and give him glory. So am I angry at Yahweh? No, my friends. No. Because this, this judgment, this disease has stripped me of my pride. I'm not self-reliant anymore. I'm totally dependent on my God. And I have nothing to glory in as my body rots away. It's a very harsh lesson to learn. So here is my invitation, friend. Learn my lesson from me. And do not make the same mistake I did. Do not let the beast of pride take hold in your soul. And don't let the sense of self-reliance and self-glorification grow in you. So can I ask you a question this day? Is there any part of your soul, your heart, in which you see pride lurking in the corners? Is there any 
sense in your life right now where you are not utterly dependent on Yahweh in every aspect of life? Is there any sense in which you have sniffed the glory and stolen the glory and taken the applause instead of passing it on in joyful thanksgiving to him? Because that, my friends, is pride. And here is my lesson, my friends. Pride, if left unchecked, isolates us from God and others. Because that's my life now. Utterly alone. Isolated. Because my pride was left unchecked. Don't let pride grow in you and isolate you from God and others. That, my friend, is my story. That is the lesson to be learned from my life. That is the legacy of the leopard. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.